Um, a few slides from our special needs uh, golf, golfing. So we had a great time hanging out with everyone, um, Greg and Matthew holding hands. That was really sweet. And then me missing my putt. I was like literally half an inch away, but I ended up mastering the last hole, uh, which was really exciting for me. And then our group photo. So I love our special needs ministry. We'd love to invite you guys to come out uh, next time as well. We're going to start us off with a question today. If you guys could just go ahead and break off into groups of twos and threes. And here it is. What is something you were excited to do but then quit because it got too difficult, all right? Just, I know you have a list of a hundred things, but just choose one. And then I'll come up and we'll, we'll get started. It might be a person, uh, not do, but hang out with. Uh, I remember in high school, I went to an, they, ar- the army recruiter kind of had their own room. And so I walked in, I thought, man, it'd be so macho if I joined the army. And my uncle, he, he was a full, uh, he is a full bird colonel, retired. And so just super high up in the army. And so the recruiter was selling me, right? Like, you know, uh, you'll look so good in a uniform, you'll be super buff, you'll get 30K right off the bat, we'll pay for your college, you know, like, you'll get paid X amount of money, you could be special forces and wear those, like, night vision goggles and run in with your gun, and I was like, I've played those games, I should be able to do it in real life, and so I got, like, really excited about it, and I actually went to um, their one of the bases and I took an assessment and I blew it out of water. I think it was the best test score I ever got in my life, like 97. And and my recruiter was super excited. He's like, you can do anything, right? So for weeks and weeks, this is in high school, I was thinking about going to Westmont College and and doing Army and uh, going ROTC and, and that route. And then as as time went on, I was like, you know, hanging out with my friends. I'm like, man, I won't be able to see them again. And wrestling with my calling about being a pastor. Like, I still feel like I want to do that. And then I'm sleeping on my bed. I'm like, I really like my bed and pillow. (laughs) And as time went on, I was just like, man, this is just not worth it. I don't want to leave my friends. I don't want to leave the girl I like. I don't want to leave my pillow. I really like my pillow. And so I ended up not going and, and I became a pastor, as you can tell. And um, I wonder when you think about, oh, these are not my slides. Uh, Paul? Am I doing something wrong? Is this me or you? Is it my, me? Okay. Oh, good job. And um, as we think about this passage, I think about how much hype there was around Jesus. He had finished the Sermon on the Mount People were marveling at the authority in which he spoke. God had been silent for 400 years. There were no prophets saying, thus says the Lord. And every teacher and rabbi were quoting from other rabbis who quoted from other rabbis. But Jesus would say, I say to you. He would stand on his own authority and he painted this beautiful picture of spirituality and ethics and community and values. But then he started enacting his kingdom that he didn't just have authority and teaching. He could do stuff. He would walk up to a man with leprosy and touch him and scales would fall from his hands and his fingers would grow back. A centurion asked for his slave to be healed. And with a word from long distance, he healed 
this man's slave. And Peter's mom was ill. He touched her. She got up out of bed and started serving him. And then people just started hearing about this and bringing everyone who was sick in that village, demon-possessed. And Jesus, with authority beyond teaching, with power, um, started enacting and pushing against this kingdom of darkness. And everyone was healed. And think about that. So the hype around this person was incredible. And everyone wanted to follow him. There was a great multitude of people around him, a great crowd. And oftentimes when Jesus sees a large group of people gathering, he starts to um, sift them out. He gives some harder teaching. Or maybe I think him crossing the lake might be causing a physical barrier so that following him would be inconvenient. You know, there's so much convenience in being Christian in our day and age, right? We go to church, it's AC, we sit on chairs, we, and we can upsell Christianity. I, I know I do. Like if you join Renew, amazing worship team, satisfactory preaching, you know, not, not really good, but but good enough. And, uh, and our community is amazing. We have park day, we have fight club, we have basketball ministry. Being a Christian's awesome. You got friends. And then, of course, the real stuff, right? Um, eternal life. When you think about death, you don't have to be afraid. Purpose. Jesus will be your best friend. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. And a lot of those things are true, especially the back end. Your sins will be forgiven. But have we asked about what makes Christianity difficult. Because Jesus, he is not a good salesman. He's not the army recruiter who lays out everything amazing about joining the army without putting out the cost. What, what makes it difficult? My recruiter never said, you have to leave your friends and family. My recruiter never said, you know, you're not going to, you're going to be confined to a specific amount of occupation, that there's going to be a curfew right? That when, when they say jump, you're going to ask how high. And you're not going to be able to question commands. You're just going to go and follow. And when they ship you out, you just go. He never talked about that. And maybe we grew up in a Christian faith that didn't talk about how hard it is to follow Jesus. Becoming Christian is free. And in some ways, it's easy. We pray that Jesus would forgive us of our sins and we say, God, I will follow you. He makes it so accessible to every person on earth and he gives them an invitation. So becoming Christian costs us nothing, but following Jesus will cost us everything. And I wonder if we've, we even have thought of that, that following Jesus will cost us everything. It says here, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. We're only going to be looking at these four verses today. But again, we think about how Jesus looked into the crowd and oftentimes um, when when the 
when Matthew talks about this crowd, it's these people, these large group of people who are curious and, and making a decision of whether they want to follow Jesus, whether they want to be a disciple, right? So they're undecided. The Pharisees oftentimes were Jesus' oppose, op- opposition. The disciples were people who said, we were, we're going to give our life to following you, but the crowd is undecided. And when the crowd grows, Jesus draws a line on the sand. And he's like, it's not really that easy. Here are some of the things you're going to have to give up. So this teacher of the law comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. The teacher of the law or scribe at that time would often uh, teach people. And they would come out of specific schools that qualified them to teach. So for him to say, Jesus, I want to join you was a big deal. And during that time, many people would kind of choose the rabbi or the school of Judaism that they wanted to follow. And when they followed the rabbi, they would kind of give their lives to them, uh, going where they went, learning under them, but they would spend their lives with them. But another aspect of this, uh, of their culture is that there was kind of a trial period, right? So you would kind of go in, you would listen to a rabbi, but you could kind of end your time if, if you felt like their teaching wasn't great or you didn't want to do everything they said. And maybe you would go and follow another rabbi or another teacher and, and try them out for a while. And so as this man was asking Jesus, telling Jesus, I'll follow you, Jesus starts to taper his expectations. He starts to talk about how he's unlike other rabbis. Other rabbis enjoyed a place of prominence in society. They were often invited and and wanted to be invited to the best parties, sit in the best seats. They had prestige in the community. Sometimes they had wealth. But Jesus is saying, I'm not going to have any of those things. Do you want to follow me um, if, if you're entitled to nothing, right? Even the animals have a place to stay. But me, I'm going to be just a journer, um, journeyman. I'm not going to have, I'm not going to purchase property. I'm going to stay at whoever's home open the door, opens the door to me. And I wonder when we think about being Christian, first, whether we've ever made the decision to not just be a part of the crowd, to not just put Jesus on a 14-day Spotify trial, but to say, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to give my life to you. I'm not just a Sunday Christian. I'm not just Christian inconvenience. But when, when there's a price to be paid, I will follow you. And then when we do follow Jesus, I wonder if we tack on other benefits to that. Like, I'll be a Christian, but I need this home. I'll be a Christian, but I want another child. I'll be a Christian as long as I have a 401k. I'll be a Christian as long as the people at church accept me and want me. But once one of those things are taken away um, and my conditions are not met, I'm not going to follow you anymore. Jesus is asking for this man to follow him unconditionally. Jesus is asking this man to follow him without any entitlement, that you just go where I ask you to go. And then the second statement is even harsher in many ways. Another disciple said, Lord, I want to follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. 
And Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. I read a few commentaries on this and a lot, some of them try to soften this interpretation. So John Stott will say, and which I really admire, he'll say that um, Jesus was talking to a man maybe whose, whose father was of el, uh, old age. And he's like, let me wait for my father to pass before I follow you. And other people, commentators take this on face value that maybe his dad died in the last couple of days and they were waiting to bury him And this man's like, give me five days, maybe a week, and then I'll jump on a ship and follow you. And Jesus says, no. And I'm actually kind of for the second interpretation, even the harsher one. Because at the end of the day, what Jesus is saying is that there's no trump card. There's nothing that takes precedence over me. There's nothing in your life that you should be able to hold over following Jesus, doing the ministry he's called you to, going where he wants you to go. That discipleship, being a Christian, which somehow we've separated the two, but, but it's not meant to be. Being a Christian means Jesus takes precedence over everything. Are we willing to follow Jesus? Or are we just a fan? Are we just following him on Instagram along with all our other gods and idols? That's a pretty big difference. And I, I, I often ask myself this. I remember a question that haunted me early in my Christian faith. You know, it probably wasn't posed the best way. But, but this pastor said, if Jesus asked you to pack up your bags and be a missionary to Africa tomorrow, would you do it? Right? And I thought, I thought that was sobering. All the way through my Christian life, it, it was sobering to ask that question. Like, am I willing to just up and move for Jesus? Am I willing to leave everything behind? Or do I have prereqs? Do I have conditions? Am I, am I willing to follow Jesus as long as I get to keep this job and promotion? Am I willing to follow Jesus as long as my family has enough to pay for my kid's college or my, my son has clean water? What are my conditions? And I, I think we should stop and really ask those questions because we probably have some, right? We, we've grown up and experience Christianity where not much is asked of us. But one day, Jesus, if we follow him long enough, will ask the hard questions. He won't just ask us to confess our faith. He'll test it. Because at the end of the day, we don't really know until we're put in a situation where it's tested, where the hard questions aren't just asked, but there's a crossroad in front of us. Do we deny Jesus? or deny our friends and family? Do we follow Jesus, or do we follow the promotion? Do we continue to love Jesus, even when it means our family doesn't love us anymore? All of us will be asked those questions, and some of us will be asked right at the front end. You know, it's amazing to meet some Christians in foreign countries where Believing in Jesus meant all of those questions from day one. I met um, this man. Uh, actually, he's a kid. He's like 20 years old, maybe 17 when I met him. And uh, in Singapore, and he said, I, when I be- uh, his name is Muhammad. And he said, when I decided to be a Christian, I knew that my parents would disown me. But I, I stood in front of my father and I told him, and he, he brought out a knife 
And he chased me down the street, and he stabbed me, and then he disowned me. And he went to the hospital, and he had nothing. I was like, that's a lot, too. Like, I didn't have to do that when I became a Christian. When I became a Christian, my parents celebrated, and then I got baptized. But would I still do it with that price to pay? I, I, met, uh, I went to an orphanage in China. I met these two girls who, um, whose, whose parents were put in prison because they were believers, and they were young. And the government officials, this is when there was heavy persecution in China, asked them, um, do you want to go to a foster family and have a family adopt you? Because if you do, just deny Jesus right now. But if you don't, you're going to be put into an orphanage. And they're not going to have anything for you. And at this really young age, they said, we want Jesus. You know, there's people who have said Jesus is worth it because they have paid the cost. Jesus is worth whatever cost we're willing to pay. And at some point when we're saying we're not willing to give that up, we're saying in another way that Jesus just isn't worth it. And I wonder what cost we're willing to pay how far we're willing to follow Christ. If we're willing to go the whole distance or if we're just saying, hey, I really actually want this life and I'll be Christian on the side. You know, these two men, we never really hear their answer. You're just kind of left hanging. Does this man, um, is he willing to be homeless to follow Jesus? Is the other man willing to miss a funeral in order to get into the boat? And, and I think that most of our stories are probably open-ended in some ways. But we think about those who have finished the story, like Peter, right? He, he goes fishing and Jesus calls him. And, and by calling him, he allows Peter's nets to be filled with fish. He gave Peter everything he dreamt about as a fisherman, right? He has stories for days. But I think in some ways, when Peter saw the net of fish that he caught and the Christ, maybe his dreams started shrinking. Maybe everything he ran after felt small. You know, have you ever caught your dream, be able to wrap your hands around your idol and all of a sudden it shrinks on you? like finally getting the Nintendo you've always wanted and it's just really small? Or you got the degree and then you're like, oh, that's it. Or it'll feel, it might not feel that way in a day, but it will in a month, in a year, in two years, in five years. No matter how much money you make, it will shrink on you. I think Peter's dreams shrank on him when everything he ever wanted happened in one moment. But then Jesus says, follow me and I will make you a fisherman. And throughout the rest of Peter's life, he lives this amazing adventure with God. He leaves his occupation. He leaves the boat that he built with his bare hands, maybe. But it made, it, it's really beautiful in speech. Uh, he leaves his family for a few years. 
And, and then this miraculous catch becomes nothing, right? You compare that miracle with everything else Peter saw and the, the venture he got to go on with Jesus. And all of a sudden, the miraculous catch was like the worst miracle ever because he saw Lazarus be raised from the dead. He saw Jesus cast out demons and resurrect from the tomb. And then Peter himself got to follow Jesus, not only in his footsteps, but in his ministry. Everything that Jesus did, Peter got to do a lot of it, right? And then he became the head of the church. And he gave up a fishing boat and lots of fish. You know, when we, when we decide to follow Jesus, we get two things. We get Jesus, and we get this amazing adventure, like when he says, follow me, we, you might not have a house over your head. You might have, not have security, but you have me because you're with me. Is that enough? When he says, let the dead bury their own dead and you leave people you love, friends and family, your reputation, but you have Jesus, is that enough? Um, I think about our lives and how we prioritize. And um, let's see. Oh, I erased that slide. Um, I, I wonder if all of our lives are connected and in service to Christ. Or are there automatic trump cards? And if they are, what does it mean for us to do our career and our finances and our hobbies, our friends and our family, for Jesus, out of calling to him. And I think there's many times where in the smallest ways, I'm just trying to, trying to continue to resurrender my life. Nina has this amazing thing called a pension. It's like a unicorn nowadays, but when you see it, you run to it and you hold it and then you pet it and you say, don't ever go away. So she works for the county and, um, and a pension is basically you work X amount of years, 20 or 30 years, and then basically you get your paycheck, that same paycheck, until you die. And then if you check a box that says your husband's a beneficiary, I get it until I die too. So it's amazing, right? And so I started worshiping the pension. <laughs> I started like bowing to it and saying, I will follow you wherever you go. But, but then God's like, what if I want you to leave um, the OC? You know, I, you love this church, you hope to stay forever, but what if I call you out? And I remember just wrestling with that with Nina. Like, we love this pension, but are we willing to walk away and just follow Jesus? And so it, there's different pension plans, but basically the f- longer it vests, the more you get for your money, right? So if you wait 20 years for it to vest, you, get, you can retire at a younger age. But as we've been working on our pension, I'm like, let's just go five years because I really do want to live open-handedly to the Lord in this really small way to just say, God, I will follow you. And I don't want, I don't want to have to be enslaved to a pension. Um, I think about just uh, walking around. Me and Jonathan uh, Whitmore, we, we work at EV Free. And there's this guy, um, he's been homeless for a while. Jonathan met him, talked to him, introduced me to him. 
And um, I was just like, man, God, I'm doing ministry, but I wonder if this is the ministry, you know? And just as we walk around, how are we just surrendering our lives to his leading? So I, I meet this guy, and he, he's really cool. He listens well. He talks well. He's, he's intelligent. But most of all, he's trying to get a job. And so we talked about, like, collecting cans for recycling versus panhandling and how he takes pride in recycling. And I talked about how, yeah, it's building your character. It's helping you grow in discipline and just speaking life over him. And then I started, uh, basically, poor guy, I'm like his admin assistant, right? So we go on Indeed, and we're like looking up jobs, and I fill out his resume and upload it. And now I have his account on my Gmail, and I'm like looking up uh, finding job replies and like, I'm like, Nina, I think we're going to get a job this week. And then, uh, I'm going to go buy him a planner and like a binder so that I can help him organize all his documents. Uh, there was a net, uh, he, his dream job is Chick-fil-A and I have friends who work at Chick-fil-A, right? And so I'm like, Hey, can you introduce him to your manager? He's willing to wash dishes. He has it on his resume, like give him a job. And then he's like, okay. My friend's like, okay, I'll, I'll introduce him. So I tell my friend, to go in at 5 p.m., but it's Tuesday, and he's like, I'm going to go at 5 on Friday, but he has no planner. I'm like, how are you going to remember this, you know? So I, I'm going to help him work on some personal, like, planning skills. And um, and it's just another adventure, I think, that that God is allowing me to go on, simply because I want to be open to meeting people and doing what he's called us to do. Um my family, and me, and as I interact with this man, all of my problems seem really small again, and I, I am blessed by his faith and his hope in the Lord. Um, I feel like God just has amazing adventures for us, all of us, every day. And big adventures that will be like 20 years Small daily adventures, just meeting someone and starting a conversation or just being open to hearing his voice and be led. But I wonder if if we have so many conditions and so many other priorities that we're not willing to go on the adventure Jesus has for us. You know, it says that God has prepared good works in advance for us to do. Can you imagine that? Like when, before you were born, he had iCal mapped out from 1985 or 82 for me to whenever my end date is. And he, on this iCal, he has like uh, May 12, 2019. Wilson's going to walk into the volleyball court. He's going to meet this person. She's going to be struggling with drug addiction. And he's going to be able to speak life and pray for her. You know, or or Zach, <laughs> he's going to get a job at this like gaming company, but I'm going to inspire him to make the best Christian game in the world, right? I've always, uh, Zach, let me pitch this game to you. Like, it's like, um, 
like old, uh, old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles where you walk through levels, right? But instead of turtles, it's like Elijah, Moses, David, and Samson. Samson's the tank, okay? Um, 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 Elijah is like the wizard with fireballs. And then, and then stage one, they've beat Pharaoh. Stage two, they've beat Goliath, right? Okay? And he makes this game that I just pitched to him today. And God prepared it so that it just blows up. And, and all over the world, uh, people become Christian because of my game and his game. Um, and then I think about, I think about Irwin, where he finishes, um, school and he, he wanted to be an entrepreneur and he thought about finances, but God says, hey, why don't you give a year of your life just serving at Epic? And as he does that, God calls him to East Asia. And he fundraises way too late, and I have like severe doubts <laughs> that he's going to make it. But somehow God pulls everyone of us together, unites our hearts. And he's on this amazing adventure. And whenever he sends me videos, I'm just blown away by his fire and his faith. Let me end this sermon with, with the illustration that I found extremely silly. It's so silly that I don't know if I'm actually going to do it. Uh, Janet, can you come on stage for me really fast before we end? Because you're the best. All right. So, so, so I, found, I heard this illustration. Uh, come, on, come up here. <laughs> Hit me in the face really hard. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, this illustration was from junior high in 95. So if you're a junior higher and today was 1995, you're going to love this illustration. Everyone else is going to find it really ridiculous. Okay, so your job is to nail, uh, hammer this nail into the wood. Can you do that? Sure. Okay. okay. All right, go ahead. Where? Just anywhere, like maybe right here. Okay, but before you do that, this hammer has uh, a will. So you have to like, you have to like, um, you can't break the will of the hammer. Does that make sense? Okay, but you're still going to nail the nail into the wood. Go ahead. Hi, Janet. Uh, <laughs> I'm the hammer. And before you nail me, I just feel like my shoulder is really tight. If you could just massage that out, that would be great, just really fast. The shoulder. Yeah, right there. Perfect. Yeah, good. Good. If you could use your thumb and just kind of, yeah, okay. Okay, okay, I'm ready. Go ahead. Really hard. Wait, hold on. I've always wanted to be a screwdriver, actually. So could you just take the back end of my, yeah, and just kind of screw that nail in place because hammering sucks. But yeah, there you go. That should work. <laughs> Just give it some time. Okay, back to hammering. Okay. Okay, ow. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. Okay, wait, hold on. Can you try the bottom, like where the handlebar is? Because that has some more padding. All right, there you go. I want that. I want that life. 
Okay, all right, okay. Back to normal hammering. And I'm done. <laughs> I'm going to watch Netflix. <laughs> you see how it was a great junior high illustration in 1995, but it's terrible now? But I just feel like sometimes I'm like that hammer, right? Like, there's all these excuses I give the Lord before I follow Him and I'm willing to do what He's called me to do. And I just hope that we can be a people who live surrendered lives. That we could be a people who trust that He has a much better adventure for us than to just save up for a 401k and die. That He... He has prepared good works in advance for us to do and that we are just discovering it. But when we put all these conditions up, when we have all these distractions, when we let sin narrow our options, I just think about how few Christians maybe get to do everything God's prepared for them. But how we can. Father, we just come to you and... Um, I just pray that we would we would trust your hand. We would trust your design over our life and we would live in a way where we are open-handed and we say, God, whatever you call us to do, wherever you call us to go, we surrender because you have the best for us. I don't think Peter wished he was a fisherman instead of following you. I don't, think, I don't think that Matthew wished that he could just collect taxes and be wealthy instead of following all of the ventures you had for him. And I don't believe that if we live surrendered lives that we'll ever wish for the life we could have had without you, without taking risks, without being courageous, without uh, quitting. Father, let us gladly pay the costs because because of how good you are, how you dream for us, how you love us. Before we move into communion, will we just take one or two minutes um, praying for each other? I have a, a question up. And I would love for us just to answer that question, pray for each other, and then, um, and then take communion together. And, you know, Jesus, Jesus doesn't just teach, he does. And I think about how he surrendered his life to the Lord on the cross. How he was willing to pay the ultimate price for us first. And how it brought us all life. You know, when Jesus died, he trusted his very life to the Father. What an amazing thing that says that he went to the cross because of the joy set before him. So I wonder, you know, is there any excuse or priority that you automatically put before following Jesus? And then just praying for a heart of surrender. And after you do that, that we would take communion together and say, Jesus, will we do what you did? And trust the way you trusted the Father. Amen.